In today's episode with Jason Leonertz, we talked about a lot of things that you don't hear very often on fitness podcasts. A little backstory on how I met Jason was at this past year's uh, fitness summit in Kansas City. And I saw him in the airport and he just looked like this, this friendly guy that nothing had ever happened to him and life was good. In this podcast, we talk about how everybody has a story and he tells a little bit of his story and he tells about how he can relate to all kinds of different people. And that's not his direct words, but if, if you want to hear someone who's battled with drug addiction, who's called 911 because they thought they were going to take their own life, if you want to talk about or listen to someone that uh, has raised kids with, with autism, raised kids that uh, just just want more attention from, from their older autistic brother, if you want to talk or listen to someone that uh, built a phys- fitness business without uh, being part of a prior fitness business, or if you want to talk to or listen to someone that uh, hosts a podcast and has made a book from it. It's, it's just a good episode. I think you should share this one with friends. You should check out Jason Leonard's stuff and order his book as a stocking stuffer. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to The Lifestyle Chase, Season 2. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. I'm your host, Chris Little. Let's get started. The Lifestyle Chase is brought to you by Yeg Fitness. Yeg Fitness is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada's healthy lifestyle community, creating and supporting active living for all. Check them out online at yegfitness.ca and on social media at Yeg Fitness. Welcome to episode 88 of The Lifestyle Chase. I'm joined by the one and only Jason Leonards. How are you doing this morning? Man, I'm I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, I've I was just telling you offline. I've I've listened to your show a bit, and I I really love your approach for stuff. So I guess today I'm just looking for uh, looking to have a great conversation. I really appreciate you having me on. It's super exciting. And before we get into anything too much further, I feel like the majority of my listener base may not have heard of you. So if you were to describe yourself in five sentences of the things that you're most proud of about yourself, what would those five sentences be? Oh my God, I've never been asked this before. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see, so I am a a husband, I'm a father, I'm a son, I am a business owner, and uh, like you, I'm a fellow podcast host, I'm a writer, and, and I have a couple of books under my belt as well. Um, that's probably the most Reader's Digest version that I can give you because I can take any one of those things, you know, down several different rabbit holes, but we'll, we'll start it there. Perfect. I like that answer. And it's just, it's always a challenge for me when I get somebody that hosts a podcast and they've appeared on podcasts, I'm like, what kind of a question can I pull out of my butt today? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so you win because I've little, I've never been asked that before. So that, yeah. that's great. <laughs> yes. Yes. Achievement <laughs> unlocked. <laughs> all right so in the last seven days what's what's the happiest you've ever felt in this last week so um as i mentioned just a moment ago i i just recently released a new book and uh the book is called a revolution a day and it as something that i'm sure you can relate to because i, I believe you said that you're you're into your high 80s with episode count so my my show i'm i'm comfortably in the 200s and i'm sure you can relate to the fact that you've had a lot of really fantastic conversations over the tenure of your show as i have with mine and the one thing that i realized um was that there was so much wisdom that i wanted to give to other people and not everyone you know uh takes podcast as their accepted medium of choice to kind of you know soak in knowledge and i didn't want you know, all the great guests that I've had to, to just sort of be left out there just, you know, in the internet and, and not ever be revisited. So I thought, well, I'll do something kind of similar to like 
Ryan Holiday's Daily Stoic or just what people think of when they think about daily meditations. And I went back through and listened to all of my episodes um, all over again and started to extract quotes from the, the majority of them. And um, and it turned into something that basically was sort of daily daily musings and, and meditations that people could take that have more of a health mindset. And it could apply to trainers like yourself who sort of already knows some of the knowledge, but may just need to sort of recalibrate their focus for what's happening with their own health. And it's, you know, primarily designed for general population. The reason I bring that up is because while the book itself, uh, it did come out at the beginning of December, it hasn't happened within this uh, last week specifically. But what has happened has been um, actually like physically receiving the books and actually being able to hold the book in my hand, which is always a really cool thing. Um, but also I've been able to ship it out to a lot of the guests so far and to get their feedback. So just to kind of get that um, validation, I guess, for lack of a better term about what us, what somebody else thinks about being part of the project has been probably one of the cooler things that's happened over the last week. I think that's awesome. And it's funny because I woke up and I literally saw, I think it was uh, Chuck Gross. He had done a post about uh, a portion of your book that he was in. It's either that or I got my wires crossed, but it was him, right? That uh... it, it it was. Yeah. So Chuck, um, Chuck and I had a, a fantastic conversation um, after, oh, geez. So it would have been after the 2018 Fitness Summit. And if, if you don't know his story or if your listeners don't know his story, he's definitely someone worth tuning into because it's incredibly inspirational. And, and the, 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 short, the short part of it is he's lost over 200 pounds and kept it off for like a decade, which is incredible. And um, he has two quotes that are in that book. So he was kind enough to, to share um, uh, a couple of pictures. Um, one of them being one of the quotes that he that I had, had pulled um, to put him in the book and uh, and a picture of the cover. So it's just it's things like that, that it's like, wow, it's it's actually it's it's having something close to the impact I wanted it to have. So that's that's really neat. And it's it's super cool that you have your book and it, it's coming into fruition because like without you even knowing, like before I had even asked you to be on the podcast, uh, my my niece who now texts, which completely throws me off because she, in my opinion, she's not old enough to be texting. But in any case, she sent me a text and she was like, what should I get you for Christmas? And I was like, what do you mean? What, what should you get for me for Christmas? You can't think of any ideas. And she's like, okay, well, I mean, maybe I'll get you a book, but I don't know what kind of books you like. And so I listed off a bunch of books of people that I knew or had met or just like follow. And your book was one of them. And so I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to get a copy of the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, first off, just thank you, because I would imagine, you know, for for what I know about you and I know it's it's somewhat limited. I know that we we work in a very similar sphere. Um, we follow a lot of the same people. We've had a lot of great conversations with a lot of the same people on our shows. So I would imagine that we're a very similar mindset when it comes to um, our approach to this whole health conversation. So, you know, I would uh, I would like to think that. Um, that my book came up in a, in a list of other books of our, our peers and, and mentors and people that inspire us. So um, thank you for being, uh, you know, for allowing me to be part of that list. And I really hope you enjoy it. Yeah, it's going to be super cool because like, honestly, it, it, is, it doesn't matter which guest the quote is on. Like it can be your client. It can be people we look up to. It can be people that we've met at the fitness summit. It's all kinds of different things. And we always have something to learn from them. And I think oftentimes people take that for granted like we're losing out on lessons because we're looking people in the eye and we're like i have nothing to learn from you and then we're walking away yeah and it's i i'm trying to think who it was i had done a show with a uh i if if my memory serves um i believe i was doing a show with a fellow by the name of rob dion and rob has a podcast called open sky fitness um he was also kind enough to let me use a couple of his quotes in the book and it's it still to this day it just blows my mind that you know with what you and i do and what with, with what rob does that the caliber of information that we can bring on our shows that we can share with our listeners for free is mind boggling. I mean, it really is. And granted, I mean, you can get a lot of free information on Google, but you certainly have to sift through a lot of bullshit to be able to get to the stuff that's legitimately going to be helpful um, because a lot of it's uh, it's paid advertising and it's not always accurate. And <laughs> you know how that goes. Yeah, absolutely. So that kind of segues to a good topic of conversation. It's kind of something that like, I just kind of had this, realization the other day I was like 
looking through social media posts and looking through different articles. And I was like, wow, like my bullshit filter has never been so honed in, like just reading through <laughs> different things that people had written. And I was like, I just don't want to read this. Like this sounds ridiculous. Like I've read enough stuff that made sense to me that when I applied, it worked that if I applied that thing that I'm reading, it doesn't make sense. So I don't want to read it anymore. So I started like filtering through, filtering through, filtering through, but there was definitely times when it was harder to filter through and definitely times when I would have been like naive and been like, okay, yeah, no, that, that seems like that makes sense. I'll try that, but I might not have applied it or it, I might not have like looked through it thoroughly. I want you to reflect on a time when, when your bullshit filter was not honed in all the way and you had to learn a lesson, whether it be in business, whether it be in life. Mm. Wow. So I, I could go a couple different ways with this. I'll start, I'll start from a nutrition standpoint. Um, and I'll, I'll go that route first and then I'll, I'll kind of pull it back to, to sort of what you and I do as, as trainers. But, um, I would say about six or seven years ago, I was, I, I've always been a voracious reader, but since I started this business, um, and that's been since 2009, I've really had to up the ante of how much I read because I, I always kind of feel like I'm sort of behind the ball. Like if I don't keep up with what's happening, something's going to pass my radar and it's going to be something that's that's useful that I need to know that I can help my clients with. And I remember reading, a, a I guess, a series of books. And um, I don't think I'm going to give any details on the books, but I'm going to give a detail on the, the principle. Um, one of the things that I got really caught up in for a little bit of time was intermittent fasting. And if you read the right things about intermittent fasting, it really does make it seem like it is the answer for so many different things. And I got kind of swept up in it because it was like, wow, that, you know, when you start sort of reading some of the history of how it's been applied and how it's been used in different religions and cultures and all that other stuff, it, it sort of makes it seem like, wow, this is the, this is the missing link for what people need. And so I started to kind of talk to a lot of my clients about it and I tried it for myself and I did it with mixed results. And I found that once you started to apply it to general population, it didn't translate quite as clean as, as you, you know, the, the information might lead you to believe. And that's not to make it sound like it's not helpful. Um, it is helpful, but for a certain person at a certain time. And, you know, you may already know this and you may be, you know, maybe somewhat in agreement with me, but when, you know, the majority of my clients are here with me for weight loss. And when you are a weight loss client, there's a fair amount of, I would say, quote unquote, baggage that you're sort of bringing to that conversation. And let's just say you have a history of binge eating behavior. Um, intermittent fasting is probably one of the worst possible things that you can do for yourself. And I didn't know that at the time because I've always been a small framed guy. So for me just to kind of uh, set my focus on an eating window didn't really seem to be much of an issue at all. But for someone who just sort of... Um, has one of those really weak moments where they eat everything that's not nailed down, it has a different feel for them. So while I think that intermittent fasting can be profoundly helpful for some people, I think it's absolutely disastrous for others. And like a lot of things, when you start to apply diet philosophies to, as a one size fits all, you, you run into just myriad of problems. Um, so that was, that was one point where because I was reading so much about it, I got caught up in the echo chamber where it was like, okay, uh, if you're not if you're not doing intermittent fasting, you're not part of the cool kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it, I would say, like from a nutrition standpoint, that was really helpful to sort of go through that process and realize, okay, not everyone can do this successfully, and it doesn't make it bad. It just means that it's only going to work for a certain percentage of people. Um, and then when I think about things from like a business standpoint, and I'm sure that you can appreciate this, you know, we're in the middle of something of a boom for online training where it would appear that uh, the the cool thing now to do is as personal trainers is to be something of a hybrid co coach where you do some variation of face-to-face -face training and you do some variation of online training and i think that online training is uh it, it's a great service to have um but might not be the way that you want to put all your eggs in one basket because i don't know about you we, we were talking about this a little bit offline i tend to do my best work face-to-face and I do pretty good work as an online trainer, but I'm not going to support my family in online training. I'm going to support my family by doing the face-to-face -face stuff because that's what gives me the best, the most gratification 
Um, and so I think, again, if you sort of apply that filter and go, okay, I, I think a lot of this stuff is very helpful, but I don't think that this is going to be the direction that I just set all my sights on and go, I'm just going to put my brick and mortar of the business to the side, and I'm going to be that online trainer guy who gets to be a nomad and travel all over the world and do that online thing because I just don't think that's me. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And it's just like there, there's gyms that will open up and they have big, big hopes and dreams and they fill it up with clients and they hire new trainers and they're like, all right, let's do this. And then they, they change their mind right away and they kind of forget the impact that they have on other people where clients that, that might not be ready to move to a new gym or, or follow their trainer or maybe it's a bit too much of a shock. Like you, you hold a lot of a responsibility when, when you make that commitment with clients and start that uh, long-term lifestyle journey, um, you, you have to be willing on your end to commit to them for as long as you expect them to commit to you. It's, it's true. And I mean, I think that as even as coaches, we still suffer from the same things that our clients suffer from. And that is sort of that, that shiny penny syndrome that there's something better um, uh, on the on the other side of the fence, and we could I mean we could chase that endlessly if we're not careful. Um, so I, I think you do still have to be rooted in something. And of course, if you're somebody who realized that hey, I do my best work as an online trainer, that's fantastic. But you're probably the exception and not the rule. Yeah, absolutely. So we're gonna jump into a time machine and we're gonna go back like uh, twenty years. Twenty years. Where were you in life twenty years ago? Oh man, I was a hot mess 20 years ago. <laughs> so I, I'll sort of give this as frame of reference. So as of this recording, I'm 44 years of age. And when I was 24, I was in the middle, uh, a damn near the middle of uh, a decade of drug addiction. So I had, uh, let me think about this, 24, I had probably just started lifting weights. Um, so I was lifting weights uh, late into lifetime. I was not an athlete or a super fitness guy growing up. I was really more into music and singing and playing guitar and doing that kind of thing. And um, I got really into drugs in 1996. Uh, let's see, I would have been about 20, 21 at the time. And uh, yeah, 20 years old, actually. And um, and then didn't stop doing drugs until I was 30. So literally a, a, like, a, like a decade almost to the dot. And um, so I was, I was, uh, I was a disaster at 24 years of age, and um, I held down a full-time job. I was very involved in my music and all that stuff. But I, at that point, I had a drug addiction that was so, um, uh, so well fleshed out that I couldn't afford it just by my job. So I had to not only um, uh, be involved in all those drugs, but I also uh, was drug dealing because I had to be able to afford my habit. So that's a slightly short answer to your question. So remember the question that I kind of open up with and is like kind of describe yourself in five sentences. How would you describe that version of yourself in five sentences? Man, I was I was a guy who was struggling to deal with a lot of uh, difficult stuff in my life. And one of those things was um, I had around probably 17, 18 years of age, I had resurfaced some memories of being sexually abused when I was a child. And I was fortunate in the fact that it was one incident and one incident alone. Um, but that incident was damaging enough that here I am at 44 years of age and I still have to have conversations with a therapist about it because it has informed so many good and bad decisions in my life. And so I was dealing with that. I was dealing with uh, kind of bad breakups. I was dealing with um, going, I had gone through a series of uh, being hospitalized and being uh, overly medicated and attempting suicide a handful of times. Um, that happened the year that I started doing drugs. And I just couldn't, I couldn't find good, healthy coping mechanisms. And drugs became the thing where it was like, okay, I can I can still do a job. Like it's like you know, I'm not I'm not a complete zombie that I can still hold down a job. Um, I can still hook up with girls because that was a big deal to me when I was 24. Um, I can still write songs. I can still play in my band. I can still have a good time on the weekends. But I there was just there was something that I just didn't want to face, and drugs gave me the outlet. And uh, and so it was around. 
1999 was when I started kind of getting into fitness. And, and the reason why I got into it was because I had been on a just a cocktail of drugs uh, one night and happened to look at myself in the mirror, which was not a great idea. And I was like, wow, you, you really look like shit. Like you need to do something about yourself. And that something became lifting weights because I was like, I, I got to do something. And so lifting weights might be probably the best thing I could do. So I bought a, I bought a bench and I bought some dumbbells and I started doing some stuff um, on my own. And then I ended up joining a gym and uh, kind of going through that whole process. And, and it was just, it was a very slow burn to get into fitness, but it was just one of those things that I sort of fell into. And it would still be another, uh, like I said, um, six years before I cleaned up. That's so crazy. And a lot of people, that's not the first impression they're going to get of you. Like first impression a person's going to get of you. And I say that as from my perspective, because when we were on our way to the fitness summit this past May or whenever it was, it's like I saw you in the airport and I recognized you from the eat, train and progress group. I was oh, like, yeah. <laughs> I recognize him, but I don't know him. So I can't say anything, but I feel like I'm on my way to the right city because I recognize him. And like, isn't social media an amazing thing? <laughs> it's nuts. And then you're just kind of like walking around, just like this constant permanent smile on your face. Life is good. And I was like, the impression that I got was like, oh, I was like, you know, this guy has a good life. Like things are really working out for him. He looks happy. I, I bet that everything's always been wholesome. And it's just like, isn't that crazy how we have this tendency to sort of like judge a book by its cover? It isn't, and it's fascinating to hear you say that too, because I, I sort of look at it from a few different um, angles. One of which I, I'm glad that that was the impression that you got. That that's fantastic. Um, the other is, you know, when I go to the fitness summit, and this was only my second time there, I'm so charged about going there because I get so excited about. Uh, meeting new people that I've never met before, um, meeting people who've been on my show that maybe I, I have only I only know them through social media and having been on my show. And so I just get so pumped because I'm like, oh, I'm going to get to see Lee Peel. I'm going to get to see Andrew Coates. I'm going to get to see Kelly Coffee. And you just it, you almost sort of like fanboy for a second because you're like, I'm starting to develop relationships with these people, um, people that I look up to, people that I consider friends, even though that might be sort of an open interpretation with social media being what it is. But it's, um, it's, it, I guess it will always kind of come back to something that we definitely understand with our clients, which is you never know the battle that somebody's fighting. Um, and, and, you know, if you're much of a music fan, I'm sure you can, uh, list off a few musicians who, you know, that it seemed like they had it all together. And next thing you know, they've committed suicide, which is just, it's gut wrenching to hear. And, uh, and I, I don't say that giving the impression that, Hey, I'm, I'm also really suicidal because <laughs> I've it as if there's anything to kind of pull from the story is that I was able to survive sort of this dark period of my life it just it took a lot of time and it took a lot of pain and it took uh to be very honest i hurt a lot of people along the way um you don't get that involved in drugs and drug dealing and and addiction without burning a lot of bridges and so it um in a roundabout way this business when i started it was sort of a clean slate for me like this was the opportunity to not just uh, maybe change the lives of others but maybe change my own life as well and uh and so there's there's silver lining if you can look for it but there's also a light at the end of the tunnel if you're willing to climb towards it yeah i will i i love that that takeaway that you have for people it's just there, there's so much to reflect on and to be quite frank like a lot of fitness professionals relate to a lot of musicians who are able to talk about those dark times or they hold in a high esteem the uh, the musicians that were taken to early as a result of death by suicide. Like for right. for myself, Chester Bennington, that, that's a big one for me. Like yeah. when, when I was a kid, I would listen to Linkin Park and I'd be like, yeah, I, I love this music. It's just like the the lyrics are more thoughtful than a lot of other other lyrics and it's just when he died by suicide it was just it kind of it, it sucks because it's like well i wanted to see him perform and i wanted to hear his new album and then the music like uh, mike shinoda has done like some solo albums since and you can just you can hear like this really affected him it's not just a business this is that was a that was a friendship and he's he's changed forever by it. 
Well, yeah, and it's, you know, I, I think Chester Bennington's a great example. Um, you know, it, that was one that was really shocking for me, even though I sort of fell in and out of love with Linkin Park. It was, you know, over the time that they were that they were a, a, a functioning unit, it was one of those things where it was like, wow, that is the guy that really spoke to a generation, much in the way that Kurt Cobain did for me, because it's a little bit more uh, of of my era. Because again, if we're talking 20 years ago, I, I mean, Kurt Kurt was kind of he was kind of it, um, you know what I mean? And so you you had people like Kurt Cobain, you had. Um, Shannon Hoon from Blind Melon. You had Lane Staley, who would go a few years later, and it's like these these are voices that kind of got you through dark times. And you just sit there and go, oh "My God, I think about it certainly as a as a recovering addict." And go, "This is the reason why I never really got super into heroin uh, because I saw what it was doing to the musicians that I loved." And I'm like, "Well, I'm doing basically every other drug except that one, and I'm going to probably go the way that that guy went if I get into heroin too." So it just, it's sort of a, I, I don't want to say I had boundaries because <laughs> that's probably not the best way to say it, but it definitely, it definitely kept me a little bit fearful of certain things because I'm like, I could certainly see uh, my path going the way that theirs did. So what was your first appointment to a therapist like? Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So that's, my gosh, that's a, that's an interesting question. So I had the the first time I really felt like I was getting quote unquote depressed uh, was in the spring of 1996. I had gotten into a big fight with my parents. I had gone through a really rough breakup, and I had been kicked out of a band that I helped start. Um, and so it was just kind of like this perfect storm of events that had gone on. And I remember. Uh, kind of dashing out of my house, uh, being really upset with my parents. I got in my car, it was raining really bad. And I just kind of full throttled it down the interstate. And I was just hell bent on driving that car as fast and as hard into something as I could, because I was like, I'm just, I'm just going to leave this world now. Like now is the time to do it. And I sort of freaked myself out because I saw, um, sort of the depths that I felt like I was willing to go. And I ended up, um, sort of on the other side of town and uh, I'm going to I'm going to age myself when I say this, but this was back when phone booths still existed. And uh, I remember stopping at a convenience store and uh, and getting into a phone booth and calling 911 and and telling them, I, I, I think I want to I think I want to kill myself. And um, I, I don't know what it's like now when people call 911 and say that. But back then uh, I was in a college town at that time. Uh, that's that's where I happened to have parked my car at. And I want to say four or five police cars showed up because they basically, you know, when, when they get a suicide threat, they don't know if somebody's got a bomb tied to them. And so that kind of freaked me out because I wasn't expecting so many cars to sort of swoop in, but they took me to, um, they took me to a hospital and, and I, I had to stay overnight and basically get taken to a, essentially like a psychiatric facility. And that was the first time I had sat down with a therapist uh, to kind of say, okay, this is this is what we think is was going on, and unfortunately, uh, this gentleman was the first of several therapists who actually misdiagnosed me. Um, so they had, had given me a couple diagnoses, and uh, you'll have to forgive me my my memory not being what it used to be. Uh, I believe what I was diagnosed with at the time was uh, bipolar disorder, um, basically being manic depressive, and so they medicated me as such, and it was the wrong diagnosis, so it was the wrong medications. And uh, this sort of made that year really difficult for me because I kept sort of working and operating under the assumption that I was I was this person. I am this bipolar person and all the medications I kept getting prescribed uh, kept leading me further and further down the wrong path. So I want to say I went through. Maybe five or six therapists within a seven or eight months, eight months span. And by the time I got to the last one, uh, he finally started asking some different questions. And by the time he was done asking his questions and doing his evaluations, he looked at me and he looked at my parents and he said, uh, your son is not depressed. He is not, he doesn't have bipolar disorder. He's not manic depressive. He actually doesn't even need to be on medication. He just needs someone to talk to. And so this is the man that we credit with saving my life because he saw something different that these other therapists did not. Um, 
So, so yeah, I, I don't remember the first therapist vividly in terms of that visit. I just remember the outcome of that visit not going quite the way that I uh, anticipated it. So it made it made that particular year very difficult for me. So that that uh, final therapist that actually was able to assess you in a way that was more accurate. Um, how did that contribute to how you train your clients in his asking the right questions? Oh man. You're on fire today. You're asking some good stuff. Um, I, I guess if it taught me anything, it taught me that there's always a solution. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the first one that you come up with. So if we want to consider like a plan A and a plan B and a plan C, uh, have you even factored anything into your mind for a plan H? Like, do you even get that far? Or do you take it to plan C and go, well, because plan C didn't work, I must be fucking broken. Um, you know, I, I credit my my father for being um, in many ways just as stubborn as me to go, I'm not satisfied with the help that my son is getting um, to keep sort of driving further and further and finding more people to talk to. Uh, because I was at, at this point, I had reached a point that year where I was uh, I, I was essentially a walking zombie. Um, I was still in school. I was going to I would end up dropping out of school at that point because college became way too difficult for me to even function at. Uh, there was one there was one doctor in particular who we didn't know it initially, but we found out very quickly she had me at a, at a toxic level of medication. So she almost killed me, um, which is kind of crazy to think about. But it's when I think about what my clients go through, I think about every diet they've tried. I think about every exercise regimen they've tried and all the things that have failed them, but yet they're coming to me. So the way I look at it is I got to find a solution. And even if I'm not the solution, I still have to open up a door for you and show you that a solution is possible, which means that, yeah, I might lose that client, but door's still open. They're still going to figure out a way that provides a path to success. So let's open that door. Like, let's go down that uncomfortable path because chances are it's going to be uncomfortable. That's such a good way to put it. Uh, so you alluded to how much your dad supported you. Um, I'm curious in, in the moment in your dark times when, when you're just about to see therapists or during the eight months where you're going between therapists, did you find yourself like pushing away, like pushing people away that were trying to help you? That is, that would be my memory of what happened. Um, I, I had reached a point and, and you know, I, I guess I'll kind of throw this out there for, for anyone who can relate to being on medication, uh, certainly something that affects your, uh, your, your neurological patterns. Um, the, the goal is to keep you even keeled. You know what I mean? It's, it's to keep you from swinging low and it's to keep you from swinging high. And for me, it gave me uh, almost no moral compass because a lot of the bad shit that I did, uh, I did that year. Um, and I sensed it was almost like I knew the difference between right and wrong, and I was indifferent to the consequences of right and wrong. And I actually, I, I, it's interesting that I'm saying this because I just swiped a meme from you, I think yesterday that said something like, well, 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 it's the, it's the consequences of my own actions. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I think anybody in this world can relate to that. Um, but it was, it was the kind of thing where I knew, I knew I was hurting a lot of people. You know, I'd get, I, I'd, I'd meet a girl and I'd start dating this girl. And even though I was just sick, I mean, I, I was sick as fuck. And I, I would start dating some girl that I like. And of course, you know, relationships would go the way they went in terms of level of int intimacy and all that other stuff. And, and then I would just burn it down. I mean, I would just burn it down to the ground because it was like, I just wasn't, I wasn't healthy. And so I, I did is that that would have been the start of just kind of burning a lot of things that were probably good for me and were probably very helpful for me because I didn't know how to help myself. And uh, and and I know that it hurt my parents, too, because my parents had to see me through uh, this this phase of my life. And I'm an only child, so it's not like I had to share it with siblings. I just my parents got to see all of it. And it just wasn't it wasn't pretty. How did that uh, strengthen your relationships in that time? Like, it, like, I understand that not every relationship is going to be strengthened, but if it did strengthen any, how, how did it do so? I, I would say the only relationship that benefited was the relationship with my parents. And that was going to be a, that was going to be slow coming uh, because, you know, when you when you oscillate between 
feeling miserable and feeling like uh, you don't belong in this world, therefore that's why you want to be suicidal. Um, it's really hard to build a strong foundation around anything. And so it, it was one of those things where I believe that it drew me a lot closer to my dad uh, because I knew that he was the one that was fighting the hardest to get a solution. My mom, unfortunately, just didn't really understand a lot of what was going on. My dad um, had a little bit better understanding. He just wasn't willing to accept the diagnoses that we heard from the doctors. And so it was, you know, as, as I mentioned, by the time we found that that one doctor that turned everything around, it was like, okay, well, that we just went through seven, eight months of just pure hell. And now, now we get to kind of get ourselves out of that pit. And, uh, and so it was, I, I, I would say my, my, my relationship with my parents is probably the only thing that really got stronger aside from just, uh, uh, some level of faith in myself. So I talk about mental health a lot on this podcast, just cause I know like I'm friends with Andrew Coates and Dean Guido, they have a podcast, they cover all the fitness stuff. You have a podcast, you cover all kinds of different stuff. And I figure, well, I mean, if I'm comfortable with talking about these topics, then I will. So there's going to be people that listen to this episode and maybe they're in a really dark time. Maybe, maybe it's the equivalent to your eight months bouncing back and forth. Maybe it's the equivalent to drug addiction. Maybe it's just this feeling of helplessness. If you were to give them five piece of, pieces of advice, what would those five pieces of advice be? Okay. Um, I guess there's a, a few things that I'll that I'll say. So you know, I we've talked about you know that period of time in 1996, those those several months where I was going through all the medication and therapist and all that other stuff. And yes, I got out of it. Yes, I survived it. Yes, things got better in a way. But it also um, where I transitioned away from pharmaceutical drugs, I transitioned into street drugs. So we solved one problem, which was I wasn't actively suicidal all the time anymore, but I still, well, I'll just call it what it is. I still hated the person that I was and drugs became that new coping mechanism. So it wasn't like, okay, we found the therapist that said that I don't have, you know, X, Y, Z problems, but my problems aren't solved. And so I think for anyone going through a tough time, um, one of the most painful things to admit to ourselves and to others is that whatever you're going through, it's a process. It's not a switch. And a lot of times what we want, what we want is a switch. Um, we want to be able to use logic to go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use logic to solve my way out of this problem. But a lot of these problems aren't solved that way. You have to deal with your pain. You have to deal with um, these feelings of emptiness and these feelings, these uh, these voids that you fill in your life because otherwise you're going to keep finding these things that they seem like solutions, but they're not really solutions. They're just one more coping mechanism. Um, and you know, Chris, we, we can call it what it is. Some people use exercise. They become so hyper-focused on exercise that they become that other extreme. Like you can't get them out of the damn gym because all they think about is if they stop exercising, they're going to go right back to this miserable person they were before, but they haven't dealt with the misery. And I think once people can realize that, hey, I'm this is going to be something that I manage. This is going to be something that I have to constantly work through. Um, I think it gives you a little bit different viewpoint on it. Um, I, I've heard somebody on my show once almost reference it sort of like diabetes. You manage it. Um, it may not necessarily, certain, with certain, certain types of diabetes, it may not be something that you cure. You just manage it. And so once you can accept that, uh, I think that sort of gives you a little bit better foundation to work from and realize too that it's not always going to be something where you can just cleanly close a door. Um, there are still days for as great as my life is today, there's still things that just go wrong and I still have to step back and go, okay, I need to deal with that. Um, I can't just vanish into something else that masks the pain. I need to deal with the pain. Um, and as I mentioned, I think sort of early on too, with when I referenced the, um, the sexual abuse, I still see a therapist T today. I actually had to start, uh, excuse me, let me say that, <laughs> let me say that appropriately. I still currently see a therapist. Um, but that's something that just started again this year because I realized that for all the good that I've done, 
for myself and for my family and for my clients, there are still these holes that I don't know how to fill. And for me, um, again, taking that sort of that addict mindset, work becomes a very easy thing to fill a hole. And I can become so hyper-focused on work that I start to forget about myself. And that's one of the things that I had to start to work on is back to this process. And if you think about it from the way that we look at things with our clients, sometimes a client will come to us and they're going to go, I, I like that Chris guy. Like that Chris guy really seems like a kind, caring, knowledgeable guy. And he's going to be the guy to solve my 75 pound problem. But 75 pounds is more than just a weight loss problem. It's an emotional problem. It's a mental problem. It's a physical problem. It, it is something that has so many uh, compartments to it that you just don't go, I just want you to eat less processed foods, or I just want you to do a little bit more cardio. There's so much to unpack. And for the people that are suffering to whatever degree they're suffering, whether it's emotional health or physical health or whatever, um, you got to unpack the stuff. And I think uh, uh, Lee Peel probably said it best on my podcast. In fact, I'm uh, 99% certain I put it in my book. Um, she said, you, you have to get really uncomfortable. Um, and I think that, I think that sort of is a nice general statement for anybody. If you want good things in your life, you have to get really uncomfortable and you have to be willing to, to face that discomfort. Or if you get where you need to go, you're sure as hell not going to appreciate it. You're probably going to end up right back where you were before, where you were miserable before. So I think all of us are sort of working through these different things, these different uh, difficulties. And I know that's not a list of five, probably the way that you wanted it, but that hopefully kind of shines a little bit of a, of a perspective on the fact that um, maybe some things aren't as clean as a bullet point. That was the perfect list of five. Like I just pull numbers <laughs> out of the sky and however people respond, that's perfect. Cause that's, that's uh, good. them being themselves. <laughs> So my next my next topic of conversation, um, you talked about the many hats that you wear, one of them being that you are a dad. And what is something that excites you about being a dad? Oh, okay. So I, I will try not to cry when I talk about this. Um, my so a little bit of background. My my oldest is almost 12 years old. His name is Jackson. Jackson is from my first marriage and Jackson has autism and he is he is just awesome. He, he's awesome. He's an awesome, happy, just loving child. And, and that for those who are uh, aware of autism and, and what it's like for children or adults on the autism spectrum, Jackson is considered high functioning, but he has low verbal skills. So unfortunately, you're not going to strike up a conversation with Jackson. Um, the best that you're basically going to be able to do is you're going to be able to ask him questions that are easy for him to respond to. And you're basically going to get a monosyllabic response. So um, Jackson, are you hungry? Yes. Jackson, do you want to go see a movie? Yes. Uh, it's things like that. It's not, Jackson, how was your day? And then Jackson goes, oh, my day was great, Dad. Love you. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Um, but he is a, he has taught me a lot about being um, a, just a better person in general. There were a lot of weak points in my character that Jackson has strengthened. Um, that does not mean that I'm a perfect person because I'm certainly not. Uh, but Jackson, you know, Jackson was, he was it for many, many years. And then uh, I have a little boy with my wife, Marissa, and his name is Sebastian. And Sebastian is two years old and Sebastian is neurotypical. And so all these things that I thought I knew about parenthood and about fatherhood, the game totally changed with Sebastian because Sebastian is far more verbal and he says so many more things than Jackson did. And he loves his big brother. And we're going through a little bit of this pattern right now where when Jackson is with us, because Jackson's normally with his mom, um, when Jackson's with us, Jackson kind of likes to do his own thing. He just kind of likes to have his space and have this space not really intruded upon. And Sebastian wants so desperately for Jackson to play with him. So we sort of have like this little bit of, you know, tug of war between the two where Jackson's a very loving big brother, but he just doesn't really want to be around Sebastian. And so it sort of fosters a little bit of anxiety for him. And uh, so it's amazing to watch it. It's a little bit heartbreaking sometimes because obviously Sebastian is too young to understand what uh, what autism is. And Jackson, you know, doesn't really 
understand what it's like to be a more engaging big brother because he just doesn't have that skill set. But it's still, as a parent, it's still just, it's amazing to watch it. It's amazing to to look at these two boys and, uh, and just go, wow, I, I made that like that's that's mine and it's and i i actually my in the book that's a it's the dedication i make at the beginning i say uh you know this is to, to jackson and sebastian dad loves dad loves you very much uh you are my greatest gift to this world and i and i mean that uh just through and through so it's just one of those things where um being a father has changed everything about me and uh and i'm just very very happy to have them in my life that's a great way to to outline it to articulate it like some people like oh yeah well i mean like it's just it's cool because like you go to the mall and the kids are cute so it's like hey you kids are cute you know like (laughs) you're able to reflect on things so much more more deeply in a way that uh, a lot more people can relate to so how has being a dad changed you as a trainer hmm I think a lot of it kind of goes back to, um, you know, what I what I had to understand about the well, for lack of a better term, the human condition with raising a child with autism, uh, because you start to gain a little bit different appreciation for things that people are either over or under sensitive to. Uh, that could be light, that could be conversation, it could be tone, uh, it could just be um, environment. And things that I saw, I mean, I didn't even know the term overstimulated until I had a child with with autism. And then it was like, you hear that term and then you see what it means for a child to be overstimulated. And you're like, wow, that's, um, that's a new thing for me. And so once I was able to wrap my head around that, I was able to look at my clients differently. Um, there was a book that we were encouraged to read that that Jackson's school had encouraged that we read and it's called the out of sync child and uh, I try not to read too much about autism because the the sort of the running theme um, certainly the my my fellow autism parents uh, will relate to this is you know when you meet one person with autism you've met one person with autism because they're also very different and this particular book helped me understand over and under stimulation in a way that I never had before. And once I did, then I was able to look at my clients through a different light and go, you know, we all kind of exhibit certain things that would relate to being on a spectrum, whatever it is. Um, and it doesn't mean that we're all on the spectrum. It just means that there's, there's sort of shades and colorings of these things um, where it just makes you step back and go, I need to be a little bit more understanding about what my clients go through because just because I experienced something or just because I react to something in a certain way doesn't mean that my stable of clients is going to go, we're going to follow the path that Jason did because that shit doesn't work. Um, so I think it gave me a, a much better view of being more flexible, being more understanding, being more tolerant, being more compassionate. And, uh, and then with Sebastian, it's uh, I, I feel like I've started back at square one <laughs> because it's been such a new experience having a neurotypical child that it's like, wow, I never went through this this thing with Jackson. Um, so again, it's just having to sort of reshift that focus and go, okay, this is a new this is a new element to my life. And what it does ultimately is it changes the way that you have to do your priorities. Um, Chris, as you you know, I'm sure you can relate to you've got your life, you've got the things that you do for your business, you've got the things that you do for your clients, you've got all these things that you have to be responsible for, and you have to have enough time in the day to do it. And so then when we step back and go, what are all the things that my clients struggle with, you're able to step back and go, that's why my client can't follow XYZ diet. And that's why my client can't make it consistently to uh you know two training sessions per week because they've got too much shit going on so then you step back and go okay how do i help how do i make this easier how do we make it more simple for them to follow and for them to stay uh consistent with it so i just think it sort of opens up a whole new um world of consideration that's that's a great reflection it's uh to see things that way and just with every client being kind of on a different level of different, I guess, is is my way of putting it. Because they all have some clients that they don't want to pull a sled backwards. And it's because 
it kind of it gets in their head or they don't want to face a wall they want to face into the the gym and i don't think twice because i'm like well yeah like if that's how you operate then that's how i will operate for you because i i can understand how everybody's gonna have their different things their different uh their their different preferences like there's certain clients where like I'll I'll tell them how busy the gym is at like 5:30 p.m. and how busy the gym is at 10 a.m. and if they have the availability to train at one or the other, that context could be integral to their experience because they're either going to be faced with uh, a gym that is packed with with teams and packed with like people just doing crazy stuff, or they'll be faced with a gym that has like one or two other people. It's nice and quiet, super chill. You might even have flexibility to like request certain songs on on the playlist or whatever like there, there's so many variables that we we take for granted we're not just there watching people do bicep curls we're there like fostering an experience and asking those extra two questions to really get to know our clients better absolutely you know it, it as you were kind of talking about that i was thinking about a conversation that actually took place here at the studio last night and i have a client who's been with me for uh Oh, Jesus. She's been with me, I think, seven years. And she's super active. Um, she's strong. She's she's capable of doing basically everything. And, um, you know, you had mentioned something about kind of changing, like, someone's focus in terms of how they wanted to perform an exercise. And I remember I had her doing something like four sets of 15 push-ups or something like that. And she got in her head about the the amount of push-ups that she had to do. So she did a set of 15 and then she walked over to like another area of the room to do another set of 15. And then she walked to another area of the room and did another set of 15. She refused to stay in the same place. She's like, I have to change my scenery. And I'm thinking, God, I would have done just, you know, four sets of 15, just right there in the same position. I wouldn't have moved at all. But I just, it's always fascinating to me what makes people tick. And I think when you can make something of a I don't want to say a game out of it, but when you, when you can sort of appreciate the nuance, I think it makes your job a hell of a lot easier. Well, it, it's so true. And even sometimes with like sets and reps, I'll just do more sets, less reps and same overall number. But then that client is like, oh yeah, no problem. Like you're pretty much doing the same thing though. You know that, right? And like, oh yeah. I'm like, okay, let's do it. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, but it's so much, you know, it's 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 just one of those things where for certain people, and again, this is the beauty of it, for some people, you tell them 15 reps, they're like, oh, hell no. But you tell them eight and it's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do three sets of eight. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine, whatever. <laughs> it's it's awesome. And it's just, it's just a gentle reminder to anybody who hasn't like considered that. It's just like, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world if they don't do their sets in 15, right? Like, they can do their sets right. in pretty much any number. <laughs> so my next question for you is you you started from kind of the ground up with, with your fitness business. You, you didn't come from a box gym. And so you had to like build up, build up, build up. But with that comes finding a location. And just like buying a house, finding a location is not an easy path. What was it like when you're driving around looking for where you wanted your gym to be? And how did you make that choice? Yeah, so this is a this is a, an interesting place to take the conversation. So, uh, I actually credit uh, Jackson's mom uh, for this. So, um, as, as I mentioned, he was from my first marriage, and we were already separated. We were in the process of dissolving our marriage uh, when I was starting this business, and um, I started I started this business in uh, spring of two thousand nine, and I had moved back to the area. And I thought that I would move to a side of town where he and his mom were at. But when I was looking there, uh, there was actually, it was so saturated with fitness options that I thought I'll never make a go of this. And for those that are already in the know about this, um, you know, the economy took a huge dive in 2008. So the fact that I was trying to start a business in 2009 was uh, almost insane. I, actually, it probably was insane. Um, but she had suggested why don't you look on this side of town? Like, why don't you look over in this area? Because they have a little bit more money. So if you're going to make a go of it, that might be the place to go. And so I, I looked in this one particular area and the rent was really expensive. And I happened to find one little place that was like right on the outskirts of that town 
where I was like, okay, it's sort of like tucked away back in an office space. It has no street visibility. Um, I just need to get, I need to get started. So I, here I was, I was, I was in a commercial spot. You literally could not see my place unless you knew exactly what you were looking for, because you actually had to walk inside a building just to be able to get to my door. And, um, and that's where I started. So I had about a thousand square feet of space and it was rent that I felt I could achieve um, without going down a completely different rabbit, you know, a different path. I, when I started my business, um, I was in a position where I could buy all of my equipment outright, um, not be on loan to anyone. But by the time I did it, I was flat broke. And I didn't know anybody because this was a new town for me to be in. And so I literally just kind of had to do just essentially guerrilla marketing. I had to go around. I had to knock on doors. I had to shake hands. I had to meet people. And um, that's how it started. So that is how I started my business in the spring of 2009 was I, I, I had this business and I had uh, no money to my name. I had lived, moved back with my, with my parents and, um, and the story started there. That's awesome. And it's good to remind people like you can Facebook ad all day long. You can do all that stuff all you want. You can click funnel, whatever. But if you're not like if you're not willing to do that guerrilla marketing, if you're not willing to get out into the real world and talk to the real people face to face or focus on the clients that you have rather than the clients that you don't have, like what are you doing all the other stuff for really like it, it's all based on like the foundation the strong foundation it's funny me saying it and not you saying it but I'm, I'm sure you'll agree with this like mike dola is a great example of guerrilla marketing like i love seeing the stuff that he does yes yes uh, and i mean mike's uh, mike's fantastic at what he does and he's just a super down-to-earth guy which is you know amazing that he has remained that way with as successful as a, of a business as he has um you know i would love to say that that guerrilla marketing was what was successful for me, but it actually wasn't. Um, it certainly got people in my door, but what was the big thing for me that was sort of like the the game-changing moment was I got involved in a business-to-business uh, -business networking group. And when I was able to actually be around the same group of people week in and week out where we were referring business to one another, that was really what sort of took my business to the next level. And so since then, since 2009, um, I've expanded twice so we went from a place that was initially a thousand square feet and three years later we went to a place that was about a little over two thousand square feet and then five years later we're now in a place that's a little over three thousand square feet so we've just kept growing over the years but it was these just these stages where just little by little you just sort of have to take it as it comes and sort of set your eye to the to the future and go okay where where is it going to lead and honestly i i, I don't know that we're going to get any bigger than where we are right now because this is plenty of space but um I mean, it's hard. And I remember being in that office in that first location. I was working with a gentleman who was a what was called like a growth coach. And he had come in for a session one day and he goes, so what have you been doing today? And I said, well, just training people and reading. And he goes, how many people did you meet today? And I just looked at him and I go, I haven't met anybody. And he goes, well, you don't think they're just going to show up here, do you? And I go, uh, no, I guess not. I guess I need to get out there and stop sticking my nose in a book and go meet some people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so. like I have a neighbor that that's part of like the, the business to business style networking. And it's for me, it's like a, a balance of time. Like I do the same thing, but in a different style. Like I, I, I network a lot, but it's just through a way that is sustainable for me. It's like you said, that constant connection and constant, constant communication. For me, it's like I just network a lot within the Edmonton region. Like I, I go for coffee with people. I talk to people on the phone. I go to other group fitness and just do my own workout, but with friends and stuff. And like that's that's been what's helped me because I... I never like my, my first gym job was for a, a private gym and a lot of my, my first clients just came through my social media and yeah. then that gym shut down. And so then I had to sort of almost restart because a lot of my clients followed me, but not all of them. So then it was just like everybody that I trained was basically people that I met in a real life setting or through social media but I mean like I don't have a huge following so it would be like these would be people 
that really wanted to train with me because they had to look really hard to find me. And then it, it's fortunate because like, I was listening to one of the episodes that you guested on and you talked about how you got a, uh, a client through your podcast, I think. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> I, I also got a client through my podcast. So like, I know that feeling. It's like, hell yeah, now we're making some money off this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, it's crazy how it works. But I mean, you you know how it is. We don't do this podcast for money. We do it because it's I mean, I, I, I don't want to speak for you. But for me, it's 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 inspiring. It's motivating. It's educational. Um, it's a resource for clients. It's a resource for other trainers. There's just there's so much good that comes from it. Um, that just the fact that I pulled a client from it as, as well was just, uh, just awesome. Absolutely. And you nailed it. Like my first and foremost inspiration for starting my podcast was because I felt that there was conversations that I could have with people that either I just needed to have personally, or that I felt that other people needed to hear Like, it's kind of like nobody else in the world is like you and nobody else in the world is like me. And if we don't have the, these conversations, nobody else will. And so I just, I saw the value in that and I just wanted to put it out into the world. And every so often, like for, for me, I've, I've been lucky that I've, I've had some people support my podcast in the way of like the local fitness magazine here covers the upload cost for me. And so that's helpful because then I don't, before it was like, like you would know, um, podcasters often have to invest more money than what they ever make into their podcast and keeping it up oh, online. Yeah. Yes. And like down the road, things collect. Like uh, one of my guests, Ryan McDonald, he actually, I showed up to his house for an episode and he was like, hey man, I got you something. And I was like, what? And like, I had a microphone with me and he was like, I got you another microphone. I was like, what? And like, <laughs> it was so cool because it's just out of nowhere. And it was like, it's an expensive microphone. And I was like, dude, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I, I can never be like, oh, well, you know, I just do this for free because I do. I get support through it. But, yeah, the, the sole intent of doing a whole bunch of episodes in one week or keeping up with it is for my own personal development, for my own fulfillment, feeling like I have a greater purpose and to help the people that want to be around me, that gravitate towards me. Because, like, I'm choosing topics that are are tough for other people to talk about, like, you talked about a lot of uh, tough moments in your life and it's those moments that are going to help somebody. And I feel like me uh, facilitating those, those conversations is going to help more people than if I didn't facilitate those conversations. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean, when you say that, of course I, you know, I, I would be thrilled if this, if this, you know, episode goes out and it's of even remote benefit to, to anybody. But I, I think back to a show that I did, fairly early on um, with Georgie Fear, and we spoke about depression and medication and stuff like that. And I received, I want to say I received three different messages from people basically saying, I, I needed to hear that. I like she get because for, for, you know, not that necessarily people have to go back and listen to that episode for me, but they, Jordy, Georgie made it okay for people to take medication um she made it the way that she talked about it was she's like you know what you're not broken because you have to take medication if you need it you need it and who doesn't want to be happier why wouldn't you want to be happier if medication is what makes you happier you should be happy and and the the way she said it was just so well put and so beautifully constructed that I was like, wow, that's just, it's incredible that even though like I might not be a good fit for medication, but somebody else, that's, that's what keeps them in this world. And that's a, that's an amazing thing. And I had people that I, I swear to you, like I, as, as the day is long, that episode probably saved somebody's life and that's fucking amazing. So I, I mean, I love stuff like that. And the fact that, you know, you had that on a podcast, incredible. It's, it's such a good reflection to make in an episode like this where we can actually, as personal trainers, as people that guide people through their wellness journey, to be able to just say that out loud and then they're having a bad day and they're like, oh man, like, does, does my trainer really support me in that way? And then they can go onto Spotify or iTunes or whatever and they can like play it back and be like, oh yeah, nope, nope, they do, they do. Like if I, if I need to go see therapy 
they're like, yeah, like if you need to see therapy, you see therapy, you're still strong. And if I need to have medication to have life be sustainable, then well, hell yeah, you're still strong. You can, you can seek out whatever help that you need because everybody is different. Like we, we covered so many important conversations in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So I have a question that I ask all of my podcast guests and is it is if you could give one piece of advice to someone on how to live their life to the fullest in the most authentic way, what would that piece of advice be? So I actually used this as an answer in another podcast recently. I'm just going to reposition it a little bit. Um, Be grateful. Be grateful for the opportunities that you have to improve yourself, even if they feel like they're limited opportunities. Uh, If you get the luxury of waking up every day and you get to inhale and exhale, do something with that. Um, I think all of us in this world have lost someone near and dear to us. I certainly have. And uh, and I miss those people dearly. So if you have uh, the luxury of being able to open up your eyes every day and take a breath and get yourself out of bed, um, do something with that. Do something where you feel like you love yourself, do something where you feel like you are of benefit to yourself and others, but most importantly, do it for yourself because if you can't be your best self, um, you're not gonna be your best self for anybody else. So be grateful for the fact that you have um, that in your life and you know, start from there, even if it's just a little inkling of something that you can build from. That's a great answer. So I want you to give yourself a little bit of a shout out as to where people can find your podcast and how people can get your book. Sure. Um, So for the podcast, uh, I host a show called Revolutionary You. uh, And as Chris mentioned, it's a a slightly different show. But but we certainly if you if you weren't totally scared away by some of the topics I talked about today, I think the the show will have a good vibe for you. Um, The book is called A Revolution a Day. It's my second book. It's available on Amazon uh, for those of you who may have had an interest in that. And if you really want to see me ramble and lose my mind and all that other stuff on other things, uh, you can go to jasonleenarch.com and read the blogs. And if you want to friend me on Facebook, I'm always happy to have new friends. And you can see some of the mischief uh, that we cook up here at the studio. Um, and, uh, And I would definitely encourage that you friend me and not follow me because most of the stuff that I share is private. So you could see it that way. But, um, Chris, this was so awesome. Uh, Thank you for just some incredible questions uh, and just a great conversation as I had hoped it would be. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. And like this will be up right away. So uh, we'll have to share it to to everybody we know. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much for this. This was really, really great. You bet. I'm going to leave you with a little teaser for something coming out January 1st. 2020. It's something I'm a little bit nervous about, but I'm just taking a chance and seeing what happens. Here's your teaser. Welcome to Real Talk by The Lifestyle Chase. This is a daily, community-supported, 12-minute podcast that complements The Lifestyle Chase while targeting specific topics each day. Let's begin.